Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing so well. How are you today? Ah, uh, I am really well as well, Lance, and uh, especially doing great because of our wonderful guests on this episode. I mean, this is talk about star power. Right. It's always very cool when somebody of a celebrity status takes a stand uh, for something that you know is right. And we've been doing the series on John Juca, who was wrongfully imprisoned. He has been in prison uh, for the murder of 19-year-old Mark Fisher. Everybody who follows the case knows this. And his mom, Doreen, has fought a battle for him and part of the fight part of his advocacy group is a gentleman by the name of holt mccallany yep you may know holt mccallany as bill tench in mindhunter mindhunter on netflix has two seasons uh it is an amazing show make sure to check that out if you haven't watched it but i'm pretty sure everyone listening has at least checked it out and holt's character bill tench is actually um sort of made up of the author of the Mindhunter um, book and and uh, creator, one of the creators of the series, John Douglas. So he kind of plays a personality of John Douglas in the show Mindhunter. Now, they do a really good job taking characteristics of John Douglas, who was one of the founders of the Behavioral Science Unit within the FBI. Uh, the main character, Holden Ford, is played by Jonathan Groff, and Bill Tench, as you said, is played by Holt McCallany. And Holt is really an incredible advocate for the wrongful conviction of John Juca, as well as his... His mom, Doreen Quinn Giuliano, that's John Juca's mom. And Doreen herself is a notable figure because she went undercover to get a confession from one of the jurors who helped convict her son, John Juca, which is an absolutely incredible story. Uh, you'll want to check that episode out. We spoke to her uh, in the past all about that. We, we touch on it a little bit in this episode, but um, you'll, you'll want to go back to an episode called Mother Justice to hear more about that. And there is an incredible article from Vanity Fair that is called Mother Justice, and uh, there's a link to that in the show notes and also holt isn't just an advocate for john juca he is an advocate for all of uh, the wrongfully imprisoned he names uh several during this interview that he's been following and and he's been uh, an advocate for and he's a very strong uh staunch supporter of the criminal justice system uh, and he gets into that a little bit and he also gets into just how much respect he has for john john had an option to hey, plea out. Say, say you're guilty. We'll let you out. We're going to hold you in Rikers for a little bit, obviously as an attempt to uh, to break him while they're transferring him from one prison to another. And Holt just has so much respect for him because he, he says he's not going... He didn't do it. He, he didn't do it, so he's not going to say he did it just to get out of prison. He's going to fight the fight and, and get out an innocent man. So that's uh, that speaks to John's character. And um, and you know that Holt is genuine because he's he's reading his files while we're talking to him. He's got the information in front of him for all of these wrongfully convicted people, uh, which hopefully we can talk to him more about because he has a strong voice. He can he can broadcast that to a lot more ears than uh, than I think, um, you know, this show can and, and some podcasts can. Yeah, and we caught up with Holt uh, while he was actually in quarantine waiting for a uh, another film shoot to start. He uh, is in a new uh, Guillermo del Toro movie. So uh, how's that? Check out, uh, Go check out Holt McCallany's work. Uh, he's, a, he's an incredible actor who is only uh, becoming more well-known with his acting. Yeah, that, that Guillermo del Toro movie is uh, called Nightmare Alley. It, read a little bit about it. It sounds like it's going to be great. Um, 
but yeah, we we did catch up with him while he was in quarantine, and if he's listening now, it would just be it'd make my day if he followed me on Twitter. If he followed me back <laughs> on Twitter, so that's my personal plea. Holt, I think you should block him on Twitter, but that's just me. I think I I will not accept that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you so much to Holt and Doreen for spending some time with us uh, on this show and uh, and advocating for John Juca. So thanks for listening, everybody. Also, you can find all and only the John Juca episodes on a feed called Free John Juca that you can find in your favorite podcatcher if you want to check that out and just uh, get to that. So, all right, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. To the podcast, Holt and Doreen. How are you both today? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Hi, Holt. How are you? Hello, Doreen. Nice to see you. Same here. Nice to see you. How have you been? I've been well. Thank you. Still in quarantine? Yeah, I'm actually uh, uh, shooting a film in Toronto, Canada, and uh, the Canadian government has a policy that anybody traveling from the United States has to do a mandatory two-week quarantine. Um, and, uh, you know, the Canadians are very serious about it. Uh, in New York, uh, the same thing exists, but it's essentially unenforceable. And frankly, a lot of people ignore it. Um, in Canada, if you can imagine this, uh, the fine for violating quarantine is $750,000 and six months in prison. And when they told me that, exactly, I thought, well, that can't possibly be the right number, but it is. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, It's been uh, far too long, Doreen, since we spoke with you about your son, uh, John, and the uh, injustice that is happening with him, uh, you know, on air, we we do communicate with you on a regular basis. And thank you, Holt, for joining us. Uh, you are an extraordinary advocate for John. And um, I'm curious how that started. Where where did you hear about his case, and how did you meet Doreen? Yeah. So um, look, you know, uh, there is a very long history of corruption. In, uh, in the office of the former district attorney of Brooklyn, the late Charles Hines. And um, I had a boyhood friend of mine um, who was wrongfully convicted of illegal voting. And uh, that was a crime that uh, nobody had been charged with in 100 years. It wasn't since Susan B. Anthony. Um, uh, but um, he was a political opponent of, uh, of Mr. Hines and had run, you know, candidates uh, uh, against Mr. Hines. And so they wanted to eliminate him. So they, 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 they tried to get him. Um, and this is like a, a really blatant example of prosecutorial misconduct and abuse of power. We'll talk about, you know, uh, how prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct uh, 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 also occurred um, in, in the case of John Juca. But you asked me how I got to know Doreen. So, so my friend, John Kennedy O'Hara, um, was convicted of illegal voting, of voting from a residence that was not his uh, primary residence. Um, and uh, that is de- de- defined under New York law as your principal and permanent residence to which you always intend to return. So it's because a lot of people do have multiple residences, 
that, you know what I mean? It's a very sort of, you know, obtuse definition. And this is the reason that no one is ever charged with this crime. It really is, a, 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 you know, if you'll pardon my French, a bullshit charge to bring against somebody. And, you know, uh, eventually, after many, after, after three trials, after having been convicted, having, after having been disbarred, as an attorney, after having done thousands of hours of community service and, you know, and having his life destroyed and his uh, livelihood taken away from him. Many years later, um, uh, uh, Mr. O'Hara was finally vindicated, you know, and, 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 the, case, uh, and the case was thrown out. But, uh, but it took a very long time. And um, it was it was during this period um, when when John uh, uh, after John had been convicted that we we decided that we would work on a, on on a film project that was designed to call attention um, to the corruption in the DA's office and uh, an article uh, and I was collaborating uh, on the project with um, uh, a very good writer named Christopher Ketchum, who I believe you know, because he, you know, you, you've actually, he's done some, some recordings of some of John's writings, and so have I, and if I'm not mistaken, you've played some of them. Yeah. Yeah, and he wrote a great article. Yeah. Right, and, and, and Chris had written a number of articles on this subject, and um, so he and I were collaborating on a screenplay. One of the Brooklyn papers ran an article about it, and, uh, and Chris was uh, contacted by, 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 by Doreen, and, um, and, and we all met, you know, and she related to us the details um, uh, of her case, and, um, and uh, uh, I, was, I was appalled but not surprised because um, I had by that time become very familiar with the way things operated uh, in the office of the now disgraced, you know, uh, former DA, uh, Charles Hines. Uh, you know, I mean, look, I, I hate to speak ill of the dead, but it's well-deserved in this case. So, um, you know, I, I went to visit John in prison, you know, uh, on a number of occasions, and, you know, I got to know him and see the kind of a a man he is, and uh, familiarize myself with the details of Doreen's case, and 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 what it represents is just another in the long list of wrongful convictions. I mean, I mean, I could tell you, you know, some of the names of just the people that I know personally. Uh, Derek Hamilton, convicted of murder, right, and then exonerated, paid millions of dollars, right, by the city of New York. Jabbar Collins convicted of murder and then exonerated and paid millions of dollars. Oh, this all under Charles Hines, right? Willie Lopez, right? Wrongfully convicted, paid millions of dollars. We can also talk about disgraced former uh, NYPD detective Louis Scarcella, right? right. Who had 19 uh, uh, convictions, right? You know, uh, uh, thrown out. You know, the, the, the um, uh, uh, just so far, um, uh, 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 the city of New York has paid $360 million, okay, wow. um, to people that have been wrongfully convicted, uh, by Charles Hines. And, uh, and, and, and it's only that it's only just begun. You know what I mean? It'll end up being a billion dollars by the time it's through. So this is the way these guys operated. And, um, it was for that reason that I became involved, um, in, uh, in the campaign, uh, to unseat uh, Charles Hines, and uh, I worked along with some friends of mine, um, uh, you know, very diligently um, uh, for uh, the man who succeeded Charles Hines, Ken Thompson. And Ken Thompson was the first guy um, to unseat 
an elected district attorney in a hundred years. Because the truth is about the district attorney's office is, you know, you've got hundreds of employees. It's a very powerful position. You're the highest law enforcement uh, uh, officer, you know, uh, in the county. You know, you know, all the judges are beholden to you. We can talk about that. You know, um, uh, and and generally these guys, they 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 don't they either try to run for governor or do you know what I mean, or they're in office, you know, for life. Um, uh, but not Charles Hines because the voters you know, uh, finally wised up to the fact, you know, of, of you know, what, what, what kind of a guy this was and how he, you know, uh, how he operated and they, and they voted him out. And then, and then what happened was Mr. Thompson um, started something called the Conviction Integrity Unit. You know what I mean? And, you know, and, and some of these, uh, some of these crimes, you know, you know, were, were, were finally, you know, some of these people were finally vindicated. I mean, uh, 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 anyway, I don't want to talk on and on and on. I'll let you guys ask questions, but you asked how I, how I got to know Doreen and how I became interested in the case. That was how. Right. We had the mutual friend, John. I had reached out to John because I seen his name in the newspaper and uh, he was being wrongfully prosecuted also. So I reached out to him and he is the one that actually brought me to Christopher Kitchen. Oh, it was John. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, actually this article was written by Chris and so I I called Chris I got in touch with Chris and I said who is this John O'Hara guy and he's like oh well he doesn't have email he doesn't have a cell phone you know but I'll I'll get in touch with him so we met for dinner so I meet for dinner Holt I don't know if you remember this we meet for dinner and I had just finished my undercover work I I just finished it up and I didn't tell anybody about it yet. So we're talking and he's telling me how he was wrongfully targeted. And I said, well, you know, my son, John Juca also. And he says, well, I got to take you to Chris. Maybe Chris could write about this. I said, thank you. And then I opened up to him and I started telling him about when I went undercover. And he's looking at me at the restaurant and he's like, he goes, do you work for Charles Hines? Are you bugged? I was like, no. Right. So he was like, okay. So then he finally came around and he believed me. And he told me that you need to go back undercover and get some pictures of this guy. I was terrified. I was like, no, I can't. I gained weight. My my hair went brown again. I was like, I can't do it. He said, no, you got to get a picture to prove it. What if people think that, you know, the juror, is actually your brother on the tape. And I was like, no, he goes, no, you have to prove that you had a relationship with this guy. And he, he was a corrupt juror. He, you know, he, um, you know, he committed serious misconduct in the jury box. So I went back undercover under the advice of John O'Hara. So I'm so glad I did. And I, and I did get that picture that ended up going in the Vanity Fair because he introduced me to Chris, and then eventually they introduced me to you. And that well, was so, like 2008, I think. So we go back. So that picture in Vanity Fair with you and the bicycle, that was when you went back undercover? Um, of her uh, uh, and uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Aloe, Jason Aloe. Oh. He was taken in the bar, was Correct. actually taken by John O'Hara. Correct. Right? So, so... We concocted that whole plan. I was like, no, I was too nervous. 
I said, how am I going to get a picture? It's going to be so obvious. He goes, okay, so you tell him to meet you in a bar, and I will just stroll by, and you say, hey, sir, can you take a photo of me and, and Jason Allen? I was like, okay. So I did. I called him up, and we met in a pub, and we're drinking, and there John O'Hara comes walking in. And I said, excuse me, sir. That's when it was just a, a regular portable you know, camera. Throw, a throwaway is what I called him. And he, I said, sir, can you take our picture? And he took the infamous picture of uh, Jason Owl and I. Yeah. So wow. that, that was way back. Yeah. And then yeah. they started talking. And I, I was sweating the whole time. But just to just to go just to follow up for one more moment, you know, on 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 the way because this is really at the core of the whole thing. It's the problem with our justice system, which is that nobody prosecutes prosecutors. They have something called prosecutorial immunity, and 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 they advance their careers by getting convictions. Right, and they know that the resources at their disposal will only allow them to bring one percent of their cases to trial, not two percent, not five percent. They don't have the resources, so what are they in the business of? They're in the business of making plea bargains, and 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 they expect you know criminal defendants to take a deal. And the, the, and you're under a lot of pressure to take a deal. And one of the, the one of the reasons that I have such admiration uh, for Doreen's son John is is because you know uh, of his refusal to to, to 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 do that, to acquiesce to that, and uh, and 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 to maintain his evidence even when you know you know the possibility of walking out of prison you know, uh, uh, after many, many years was put in front of him. And he said no, because, uh, because he's innocent and because, um, you know, uh, he, uh, he had the courage to do that. But, you know, um, you know what, what Hines was uh, finally, eventually, what, 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 what started people to realize uh, what some of the problems were in the, in the DA's office under Charles Hines was that he was using funds that are called asset forfeiture. So what is asset forfeiture? Asset forfeiture is, let's say there's a drug bust and they find, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in cash, do you know what I mean? In an apartment with uh, drugs and with uh, weapons and whatever. What do they do? They confiscate that money. Where does that money go? That money goes um, into the asset forfeiture fund in the district attorney's office. And then the district attorney believe it or not, has discretion over how those funds are going to be used. And in theory, they're supposed to be used for other investigations and stuff like that. Well, what Hines was doing was using those funds for his reelection campaign. He was paying his staffers. He was using the funds to renovate uh, houses for his children in Breezy Point. You know wow. I mean? yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I would refer uh, the audience um, to an article that was written in the New York Times in June of 2014, right, about Charles Hines and about this whole issue. You know, he was uh, um, being threatened with indictment uh, by the attorney general and eventually paid a $40,000 fine in order to avoid the indictment, you know, um, but even that deal 
should never have happened. You know, but by that time, he's a very old man in his 80s, in poor health. He's been disgraced. He's been kicked out of office. And I think the attorney general's, you know, uh, idea was, you know, why beat a dying horse? But, you know, um, what's right is right. So, so, so this, is, this is what happened. He would also target his political opponents. So my friend John O'Hara was one of those, right? Tried three times for illegal voting. The first time in 100 years. This is voting from his girlfriend's which is in the same district. It's a few blocks away. <laughs> Changes, you know. So, 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 and then Sandra Roper, right, who is now a civil court judge, right, ran against Mr. Hines for, for, for district attorney, you know, and, and captured like 35 or 36% of the vote, something like that, was there after indicted, right? right. She was acquitted. Um, um, uh, Don't forget judge, the Congo judge. I the won't. Congo. Judge John Phillips, right, who was, that. you know, a, 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 a very well-respected judge, um, uh, African-American, one of the first African-American judges in, in New York and, uh, and, a, and a real leader in his community, um, uh, decided, you know, uh, on the advice of our friend John O'Hara um, to run against Charles Hines. And, and the reason that Charles Hines was particularly worried about Ms. Roper and Mr. Phillips was that they were African-American candidates, right? And remember that Ken Thompson, was an African-American candidate who was the one who finally unseated uh, 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 Mr. Hines because there's, there, 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 there is a large African-American community in Brooklyn and Mr. Hines felt that he was particularly vulnerable. And so, you know, in the case of, uh, in the case of John Phillips, what he got away with um, uh, is like something that you would expect to hear about like in Alabama in the 1940s or something. He literally had this old guy, you know, um, uh, ruled um, um, incompetent, you know, it was like an ex parte, you know, which means that, you know, it's, it's, it's a sealed, you know, a, you know, you know, document that is not able to be viewed by the public. And, you know, and then he seized the judge's assets and the judge was confined, you know, you know, you know, to a nursing home. He literally guys, you know, from detectives from the district attorney's office busted into his house in Brooklyn. They put him in the car and they drove him and they locked him up and he died in there. You know, so 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 this was, you know, the kind of guy that 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 Mr. Hines was. And um, and he got away with it for 20 or plus years. And, you know, it got so bad that he was actually even paying like low level campaign workers with checks that came directly from the asset forfeiture fund. I mean, and you would think, well, wouldn't he as the DA be smart enough to cover his tracks a little bit better than that, at least to transfer those funds, you know, to an election campaign fund and then pay them from that. But when you've been getting away with something for so long, when it's happened so many times over and over and over, it becomes, it becomes normal behavior. You, you just, you know, you forget, I think, you know, he, it was just, it was just such a, a standard operating procedure within, within his office um, that uh, uh, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't think twice about it. Like, 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 like Louis Garcella, the NYPD detective, you know, who would, who would, who would use the same witness 
at trial over and over again in homicide cases. You know, this woman who, you know, had been a prostitute, a drug addict, you know what I mean? She just happens to witness murders. And she, you know, and you know, even the most cursory, you know, uh, the most the most objective uh, analysis of what was going on would show you that something is terribly wrong. It's like, you know, as as I know, uh, Doreen discussed in the, in the last podcast that you guys had her on, you know, um, um, when uh, 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 prosecutor Anna Siga Nicolazzi went to a low the, 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 the star homicide prosecutor in the district attorney's office goes to a low-level drug case to appear before the judge, you know, uh, uh, for the benefit of John, uh, John, Avito, John Avito, a career criminal and hopeless drug addict um, who, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, who, who, uh, who testified uh, against John at, at his trial, who, of course, has since recanted. I was in the courtroom when he yeah. was on the stand and when he was cross-examined uh, by Mark Bettereau, uh, uh, a fabulously uh, a gifted uh, attorney um, who has been representing John uh, for a number of years now. And uh, it, was one of the, it was one of the most dramatic things that I've ever seen in my life, you know? And, and, and you know, I'm an actor, you know? I mean, that's what we do, we do drama. But when you see something like, he broke down in tears. And he said to John, he said, I'm so sorry for what I did. I lied. I was, I was afraid I was going to go to prison. And so I lied. And as a result of that, you were convicted. And you've been in prison all day. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. Even John, my son, started crying, right, Holt? There wasn't a dry eye in that courtroom. Everybody was so emotional because... Well, there was one dry... Forgive me for interrupting, you, Doreen. There was one dry eye, and that's the judge, Danny Chun. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what, no matter what Mr. Chun sees, none of it seems to have any any effect on on his uh, rulings, because you know, I mean, um, he has you know steadfastly carried water for the prosecutors from the very beginning of this thing. And, you know, and, 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 and that's another thing, you know, you know, if we had more time, you know, we could talk about, you know, the relationship between judges and prosecutors. And how that functions and how that's another conflict within our justice system, because, you know, the prosecutors are in many cases, the, the, the judges are in many cases uh, uh, afraid to alienate uh, uh, the, the, you know, the prosecutors, especially on high profile cases like uh, like that of uh, uh, our friend John Judah. Going back to Anna Sigan Nicolazzi, I mean, there's uh, some other cases that are coming down the pipeline uh, that um, accuse her of serious misconduct. And that's Jermaine Cox and Dimitri Williams, Joel Roberts. So they are going to be coming, uh, you know, down the pipeline real soon. And going back to that money that you were talking about, Holt, the forfeiture money, it reminded me of how Anna Sigan Nicolazzi got a $43,000 raise immediately after she got the conviction on John. Well, so well, there, there, there's it's a good, like there's, the incentive is money, money and well, winning and, and more power. And it just $43,000 raise is unheard of. 
Well, you see, Ms. Nicolazzi, right, famously will, will, will proclaim uh, to anyone who will listen that she has never lost a case. Never lost a case? Really? Well, I would argue that part of the reason for that is because uh, they bend the rules and because they withhold evidence, which is beneficial to the defense, because they, they coerce testimony, they threaten witnesses, they, uh, in, they engage in, in, in a variety of types of prosecutorial misconduct. And, you know, um, uh, they're uh, uh, virtually never called on the carpet for it. And even in those cases where, you know, it can be established, there isn't really, um, a, a, you know, a penalty. It's not like they're going to be then charged, you know what I mean, with some sort of, you know, uh, uh, in, in some sort of criminal, you know, criminal charge for, for, for their behavior. Go ahead, Dorian, what were you going to say? If anything, they're protected. They're protected. Protect. And, and they advance their careers because they have perfect records. Right. Some of them end up working, um, you know, on, uh, for the defense. They right. end up working for a firm. They become judges. Right. And with right. Anna Sigmund Nicolazzi, she became a actress. And is now working on that. I think, uh, I think the word actress is is stretching it. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't quite for <laughs> that. Uh, uh, but she has a TV show. Let's TV let's put it right. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So she, but but her signature case that she brags about is John Jukas, right. and it's. You know, it's really. You know, you know, I know you guys are already familiar with the details of John's case, so we don't have to go all over all of that. I, I like so. to mention them over and over. I mean, there <laughs> were four recantations, right? right? Everyone recanted but one person. Right. No oh. murder weapon. No forensic evidence. Nobody can tie him to the scene of the crime. No witnesses, you know, you know, that haven't recanted. They, they don't have a case. It was he said, that, she but, said. And, and, and now we have all these recantations and all the misconduct. And don't forget, now why we're back in court is because of the hidden recording. There was another jailhouse informant named James uh, Joseph Ingram. And that tape just appeared, I want to say, a year, like a year ago. And it was of John's co-defendant. Antonio confessing Russo. to the crime, confessing Good. to the crime. And saying and that John had nothing to do with it. Thank you. And it was his gun and John had nothing to do with it. And Anna Sigmund Nicolazzi hid that tape. Right. It was so beneficial to us. So we're so so now you know it's back in court, you know, on yet a new. You know, I was uh, I was present uh, at the New York State Court of Appeals, right? Um, when uh, Mr. Vettero, you know, made the argument to um, uh, uphold the lower court's decision to vacate John's conviction. And uh, the Court of Appeals uh, uh, offered a decision that uh, I still can't believe. It's like uh, if Franz Kafka wrote a novel about it, you would say, you know, you, you've gone too far. Um, their, 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 their decision said, well, even if it's true, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. Uh, uh, oh, really? Are you inside the minds of the jurors? You, you, you can say that beyond a reasonable doubt, it's right? So that, that, that a Brady violation, that the withholding of that, that that would not have influenced the jury. You can say that for certainty and, you know, and, and condemn a young man 
You know what I mean? To spend years and years and years of his life in prison for a crime he didn't commit because you say that 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 that, that prosecutorial misconduct had no and wouldn't have had an outcome on that. I mean, it's a it's a disgrace. It's it's uh, insulting to the whole system to say that to not have the faith in the jury that they would understand something like that because that's how I'm taking it. Like I'm on a jury and you think I'm not going to be able to understand it, so therefore it's not going to have an influence on me. Like you're he's simultaneously disgracing the process of having a jury in the first place. They, they go into that trial and they're already. You know, uh, they're, they're, they're already predisposed, you know what I mean, to have a very negative orientation toward the defendant. Why? Because he didn't take a deal. Do you see what I mean? They expect you to cop to something. They want you to say, okay, well, I'll take a somewhat reduced charge and I'll go away for 15 years and not risk 25 or something like this so that they don't have to, because they can't bring every case to trial. So as soon as you're, this is why John O'Hara, right, was finally vindicated after three trials, after being convicted on a trumped up charge, because they offered him deal after deal after deal after deal. You know what I mean? Just say, just say you did it and, and, and all will be forgotten. Well, the problem problem is I didn't do it. So I'm not going to say that, you know, and that was John's position. And so then, you know, you put them in the position of having to use all the means at their disposal, and it's formidable to try, you know, to, to, to destroy you. And if they have to bring in a jailhouse snitch and put him on the stand to perjure himself, if they have to lie about the fact that he got a benefit for that testimony, like not having to go to prison, that seems to me like a benefit, right? Um, right. You know, and then they'll just get up and say, well, no, you know, uh, uh, now, uh, you know, yes, he's made a lot of mistakes. Yes, he's committed many crimes. Yes, he was a hopeless drug addict. But on this occasion, he's telling the truth. Because he finally had that come to Jesus moment where he decided that it's time for him to do good in his life. Well, no, he didn't. That's right. No, That's right. And what yeah. did Judge Chun say? John Chun had said when Avito finally confessed and said and apologized to John, Chun said that John Avito's testimony was laughable. But Anasiga Nicolazzi was credible. Right. The problem is that John Avito is Anasiga Nicolazzi's star witness. So, so those, those two ideas don't go together. No, 